What does it take to put together a live TV taping with over 40 musicians on stage and only having a few weeks to do so? You'll find out exactly how that happened and what the process looked like when I interview my good friend Keith Smith on today's episode of Behind the Space Bar. Hey everyone and welcome back to Behind the Space Bar. This is the podcast for folks that want to perform on stage with Ableton Live. If that's you, you're in the right place. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're a returning listener or viewer, then welcome back. Now, if you've been kind of following me through the past few months, you've heard me uh, mention glimpses and, and bits and portions of this event I was a part of in November of 2022. So I, I was asked to do playback for this live TV taping and actually ended up doing one the night before in the same venue. Uh, well, the person that asked me to be a part of that was my very good friend, Keith Smith. Uh, as Keith and I talked, we discovered we've been friends almost 20 years in this uh, episode, uh, which is nuts. It makes me feel very, very old. Uh, but Keith is, is one of my oldest, dearest friends. And my family and I have the privilege of getting to see him uh, about once a year as he comes through town with an artist that he plays for. Uh, and it's such a joy. I mean, we spend a couple hours together eating dinner, uh, grabbing a coffee, sometimes a late night in and out. And it's always so, so much fun. Uh, but I had a blast in this episode um, interviewing Keith. This is the first interview we've done in this iteration of Behind the Space Bar, uh, and I hope to do more of these. But we talk about Keith's role in this Christmas special, his role as a music producer, as music director, how it all came together, how he sold it to uh, the company that put this together, uh, and how he managed over 40 musicians on stage at once, which is crazy. And the craziest part of all this is he only had a few weeks to make this happen. So we talk about the process leading up to the event. We talk about why he brought me in. We talk about day of, what that uh, was like. And all along the way, you'll hear some really, really good, wise words from someone who's been in the music industry for a very, very long time. If you don't know Keith, Keith is a singer-songwriter. He is a musician. He plays basically every instrument on the face of the planet, and that's not an exaggeration. Uh, he's an amazing horn player, horn arranger, uh, producer, um, just excellent, excellent all-around guy. Uh, and he does a lot in the CCM music space, but even if that's not your vibe, if that's not your type of music, uh, um, you'll take a lot from this this episode. A lot about how to succeed, uh, how to use different skills to succeed. Plus I asked Keith a question I'm gonna ask every future guest, what's one thing that he does better than almost anyone else uh, that he knows? And so I think you're gonna be really interested in his uh, response and what he said. Plus, again, hearing what it took for this event to uh, to happen. So dive into this episode. I'll be back at the end of our interview. You're going to love it. Keith is such a great friend. Enjoy. Keith, hey, thanks for hanging out, man. Hey, how you doing? I am doing well. I'm doing well. We're recording this uh, post-Christmas, so my belly is full. And uh, we're about to head into New Year's, so uh, it's about to get even fuller. So uh, nice. we, we chose I've, a good, good lull. I've lost three pounds, which means I'm doing Christmas wrong. I don't know how, how it's <laughs> yeah, possible. So you're not doing something right here, man. We're going to have to talk. We'll talk about that after the call. Um, yeah. So I want to hit you with, with a very, very difficult question up front before we okay. talk about this fun event that we were both a part of. Um, I, I'm going to start doing more interviews on Behind the Space Bar this year. Uh, and yep. I always want to ask people this question. You're the first one. So if it goes awful, I'll never ask anyone else again. But Love it. What would you say is your unfair advantage or, or something that you feel like you are better at than almost anyone else you meet or something that comes effortlessly to you that you would attribute to your success, your career, kind of where you are currently? Oh, man, uh, it, it sounded easy at first. And then you and then you said more things. And I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
Well, from a skill standpoint, I mean, horns and horn riding and horn arranging, that's the most unique thing that I do, the thing that I, that few others do. Um, you know, I actually have a, a pretty good memory for music and patterns and, and things like that. And I would say just on the whole, that's probably the thing that I can transcribe a chart fast. I can, mm-hmm. I have good relative pitch. I can just, I seem to be able to kind of find like if my ability to remember an arrangement is probably from like years of marching band and goofy nerdy things like that. But um, my ability to kind of pick up a progression and notice how the arrangement flows. Oh, there's an, there's a bar missing the second time around. I just, Mm. I can seem to kind of organize those things in my mind fairly quick. And, um, even when someone's asking for an arrangement tweak, or can we take these four about bars out? I, I can, I seem to be able to understand what they mean rather quickly, and I yeah. think that has served me every day pretty well. Yeah, I mean, in a, a in this field, like just the idea of working quickly, I feel like is is a essential task. You know, to whatever. Oh you're doing. yeah, and to not yeah, get that's... flustered, you yeah. know, and to let it shake you in the middle of something that inside might be very frustrating. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and we'll, we'll maybe dig into, uh, I, w- I definitely want to talk about like the emotional state of what you had during this event that we were part of, which will be really fun. But so before we dive in, I, you know, obviously we've been friends for, I'm afraid to do the math cause it'll age both of us, but, um, I think it's uh, actually legit t- coming up on 20 years. I, I know. And that doesn't feel right. When you say that, I'm like, no, it's like maybe 10. If I had to guess, I would have said 10, but I think you're right. I think it's been about 20 years, which is I th- shocking. So yeah. obviously I, I know who you are. I know, uh, the, the plethora of instruments you play and skills you have, but, um, for people that are brand new listening, um, to the podcast or, or new to the community, tell us a little bit of what you do. And, and then we'll segue into like that role, the role that you played for this event as well too. Yeah, I I like to kind of say that some days it feels like I do a million different things, and then some days the exact same things feel like I do one thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is it's all musical, it's all creative, and in that sense it feels like I do one thing every day. But it takes so many different forms that some days it feels like I just so scattered. And, and so, you know, what we, I was the musical producer and an executive producer on this show we just did, uh, which I know we'll talk about, uh, on the day to day, I'm a songwriter and a music producer for my wife, Tasha Layton and for other artists. Uh, I'm a music director at churches sometimes and for, uh, events. I'm in a horn arranger, uh, and I'm in Toby Mac's band and have been for seven years. And, you know, so all session musician, like I said, it's, it's all these different kind of things, but there's like a thread that runs through all of it that kind of yeah. makes it, uh, somewhat similar. Yeah, that's great. And I feel like we could talk a lot on the importance of, um, going deep on a skill, but also being like wide enough versed, you know, in multiple instruments or multiple skills or whatever that, uh, and I think you're a perfect example of that, of like being able to step into different things. And, um, would you, I'll ask you this question that I promise we'll get into like the heart of what, what we did this for, but would, um, do you feel like knowing your personality, would you be bored if you were just Keith, the horn guy or Keith, the MD or Keith, the songwriter? I think so. Yeah. I think I would be. And that's why I think 
Keith the musician, you know, I think is more fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, to and this day was one thing, this day was the next, and it keeps it feeling fresh, but I'm still applying all the same rules. So, but I do think on the whole I would get bored in probably the same way that I couldn't picture myself having a desk job. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that would be tough. Even like Keith, the music director at a church where I loved that. I loved that job. Um, I would really want a church that I would serve at full time to have different hats that I could wear, you know, yeah. in order to stay fresh, even stay, to stay fresh. I think that's the, mo- the yeah. one of the, maybe the main point of that. If I weren't doing as many different things, I feel like one of them would suffer because yeah, that's good. <clears throat> me stepping out of producer role and into horn arranger role, working for another producer sharpens my producer skills and, mm. and vice versa. If I didn't, if I weren't a songwriter, my production skills would suffer. And if I weren't a songwriter, my ability to arrange appropriate horns for someone else's song would suffer. I know mm. lots of arrangers who, or even instrumental producers who think from an instrumental mind can't remember that there's a song they're trying to, produce you know That's and really so good. there's and i've been guilty of that in in the past for sure and that that gives you such a i mean this is like a buzzword but that gives you such empathy for whatever situation you're in to view it from the producer standpoint that just hired you that it's not about the best horn arrangement ever it's about the best thing that serves the song in that moment at the particular time we just did a tour a Christmas tour and I was the music director for Tasha, for John Reddick and for Brandon Heath. And, uh, the production manager was Brenton miles who runs front of house, uh, and was production manager for Carrie Job. And, but before he did all that, he's, he was a uh, front man for a band and he's a songwriter. And before that he was a drummer. And we honestly had some technical issues that, that came from the, the company that we got our sound from and his ability to empathize with us, the musicians um, to know that what it felt like to be under those technical things. I mean, he just thrived in that situation, knowing what it felt like to be in our shoes and me having somewhat of a a ability to sit outside um, of the band spot. We, We worked really well in that instance and it could have been a very tense situation. So empathy in that way, yes, absolutely. That's great. Well, we got to get to the meat of what we're talking about. Uh, otherwise, both all of our kids will rebel and, and come pull us away. <laughs> That's um, right. So uh, I was a part of this event that you talked about you, the different roles you, you served in. And I'll have you repeat that here in a second. But um, tell us what the event was. And you mentioned you know the different roles you were. Say those again, but let us know what that entailed. And we'll start to really break this down and then. Uh, I'll talk about the part I played in the whole thing. Yeah. So um, my wife, like I said, is Tasha Layton. She's had some success at radio. And K-Love has K-Love On Demand, which is their kind of Hulu streaming service. And they came to Tasha and said, hey, we want to green light this Christmas special with you and Michael Tate. And and we said, that's great. So long as you know that we're going to put 40 musicians on a stage and we want costume changes and we want it became this so much bigger thing than they had even thought they had said yes to and to the point wow. where we had to go to the record label and ask for them to cover all the musicians because that wasn't in their budget they were willing to do it they said we just need to be able to afford to do it yeah and, and you so, said, so was was it 40 musicians in total is that what it ended up being it, it was about 40 yeah if there was a wow. guest musician on stage uh like Danny Goki was one of the features i think there was 40 
musicians, uh, background vocalist, strings, big band, rhythm section, three background vocalists, conductor, you know, the, the whole thing. It was really fun, you know. That's awesome. And um, how how far out in advance from the event, like, did was this, like, greenlit and you know that you're going for it and things are happening? We were producing another special for Caleb on demand. Uh, it's kind of called boundless. It's a, um, a process for walking with the Holy spirit through trauma, uh, that Tasha's okay. d- does on Caleb on demand, right in the middle of shooting it on August 2nd, they came to us and said, Hey, we're going to green light this special. And knowing what I just told you, they did not know. They did not know. We wanted to fill mm-hmm. the stage with musicians and do all this. So to them, may, they maybe think that's plenty of time. And uh, yeah. many of you know, uh, who are probably listening to the podcast and, and uh, watching this video know from like doing Christmas specials at, at churches or, or whatever you may do, that is not a lot of time uh, yeah. for uh, to, to pull all this kind of thing off. And so we, yeah, uh, and we, we recorded it what was it? Was it November 21st? Something like that? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and so we did not have all that much time to to pull this off, and especially trying to... I mean, that was the very first day. We didn't start talking about it uh, in detail for several weeks, and so I just started to try to get ahead of it, making Dropbox folders full of information and just start to think, and uh, one of the downfalls of me doing so many... wearing so many hats is... I'm sitting there in the early days going, how many hats am I going to have to wear to, to pull this off? And, um, and so, I mean, part of that was why you got a phone call from me going, okay, I can run tracks. I can do Ableton. I can run playback, but can I, can I do that? Well, while I'm on stage running a bunch of musicians and I kind of went, I think I'd better, better call someone who can uh, specialize in this for us, or we could have a really bad situation on our hands. How, how important, um, I mean, being there, I think I know the answer to this question, but how important on that day was the fact, or let's say even leading up to that day, was the fact that you were able to hand off things that you're fully capable and highly talented and able to do? Well, uh, it was easy in the fact that I'm, I love being the least talented person in the room. I, I mm. you know, I, I humbly, I say sometimes I'm not, and, and that's okay too, but knowing that is as decent as I am at playback. One of my friends from college is way better at me at that. So in that sense, it's way easier. Um, and some of the benefits of passing off these different tasks and some of them that I passed off was like, um, one of my better skills is as, as an arranger and being able to write these charts and, and get these things ready, ready and organize them into folders that people can access and, and, uh, and also needing to know when they've gotten an up, gotten an updated chart, um, mm-hmm. that they don't miss that. You know, how do you, how do you formulate all those things to where people don't miss what they need to, to miss? And, um, so I was like, man, I'll be the arranger. This is going to be great, but I know where my D day is. And the closer that I got, I was like, I have to pass some things off. So I, I, I just kind of always kind of calculating what I have to do and w- when the end date was, okay, now's the time I have to pass off a chart to somebody else. Now's the time I have to call Will to do this, just knowing there's no way to get it done. And so, um, and I think that's worked fairly well to kind of go, okay, I'm going to do as much as I can, as much as I can and be a good dad and all those kind of things. And at some point, no, no, it's time to expand the team and, 
um, yeah. make, make less money. Sometimes that's the, the answer for that. And it's just, it's just necessary. And when I, when I don't, you know, at the end of a project like this, where I don't make much money because I put together the right team, I just know mm-hmm. that I'm going to see dividends from that later down the road that, that that's, that's that, worth it. That has to take a lot of humility to put, I mean, it's back to where we started the conversation to put the needs of the song, the needs of the artist, the needs of the event above you going, man, that would, you know, a couple, a uh, couple extra thousand would be really nice around Christmas time. <laughs> you know, uh, it's that, that's got to take a, a bit of humility to go. What's best for the project right now is maybe not what's best for uh, my pride or best for like the thing I want right now. I think sometimes that's it. And sometimes it might be the opposite mm-hmm. in that, man, I don't want to get to the end of this and look bad. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, there's a healthy way to say that statement and there's also a really unhealthy way. And I just kind of have to keep gut checking myself on, but also yeah. knowing like no one knows how much money I made at this. All they know that is, is that a part of this crashed and burned or didn't go well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. the part that maybe I'm protecting my ego and my pride more. And it's a, it's the right thing to you know, and I don't know how all those things work up in, in the brain with, you know, yeah. chemicals firing and whatnot, but some of it's a little self-protection going, my reputation deems that I have to do this right. Even mm. if I don't make much money on it. And later yeah. on, you know, I've gotten some big calls. I've, I was a music producer on the people's choice awards in 2016 and, and just know that calls like that happen when I make the right decision on, uh, on that's, something else, you know, that's really good. So maybe a lesson for people out there listening is like, don't just get so narrowly focused on this one thing that you miss, like the grand vision of doing this one thing or passing this thing off or maybe not going, oh, I could do this and do that and do that. Like serving the moment really, really well. Who knows what that could lead to further down the road? Yeah. And to know that, like, I mean, you know, we'll talk about the process of going through this. There were things that you caught mm. that I wouldn't have caught if I didn't have someone else on the team that were running through playback and we're lining up bars with charts and things. And you, and you would call me and say, Hey, by the way, this looks wrong in the chart. Boom. All of a sudden this process of team was way better for me. I, I, if, if you hadn't been there catching a few of those things, we in the middle of a very stressful day of show situation would have had some things to correct. Yeah, that's good. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, about that process. Um, let me talk from my perspective for a second and then you fill in any gaps maybe before that and then we'll mm-hmm. like walk to the day of the event and then the day of the event. So um, I think when I got the call from you and you said, hey, can you do this? And I said, yes, I can. And I started the process. If I remember correctly, I think it was about 20 days out from the event, maybe a little before. It wasn't. Sounds about time. right. I, but, had, but I, had all- th- I had thrown it at you a little. We, we saw each other. Yeah, um, that's right. And we went to dinner. And I said, hey, I might need you for this but that was probably you know 10 days before that you know but it, yeah, wasn't, yeah, it not, wasn't a minute since i got yeah yeah that's right but we so didn't start could, we didn't start work until probably yeah you're right about 20 days out yeah and again if, if people have never walked through that you may go 20 days that's a lot or if you've walked through it you're like 20 days you know and i think either way yeah. you look at that it, it could be either side of this so you brought me into the process and i i want to uh, brag on you for a moment because um i am not naturally a organized person. I'm not naturally a prepared person. Um, and, and I'll share this fever dream that I often have. And I realized as I was talking to my dad, like getting ready for this event, which I think was like a week before I routinely have this dream in my life of waking up panicked in the middle of the night 
And in the dream, I get hired for a gig and I show up to the gig. And, and now at this point in my career, I'm, I'm not playing guitar for the gig. I'm doing playback, but I'm like setting up for the gig. And as I'm setting up, the band's already on stage, like playing and everyone's staring at me like, what, why are you taking so long? And I had a dream at some point in those 20 days of me showing up. This is really highly specific and weird, but I was at a youth group event, a church youth group event setting up and there was a band on stage and um, I was getting the, the rig together or whatever. The band's already kind of playing. And um, in the front row are like the legends of playback. You know, if you, if you, <laughs> you can call it that. And Mike and Pablo and Clayton are on the front row. And That's, that's and, an uh, Avengers movie they're never going to make. But That's right. <laughs> they should. They should. It's, it's the movie we all uh, needed, but we didn't realize we did. And so uh, in the dream, someone, the like, worship leader is like, Sorry, we're uh, we're having problems with our redundant rig. It'll be just a moment, and I I had to like go over to the playback people and go, no, no, it's not a problem with the redundant rig. It's blah blah blah. Regardless, I had this dream in the middle of like I do not want to screw this up. I'm like terrified. I'm not going to be prepared. I have to say though, walking in at day twenty, it was even I think ready at that point. You said, hey, I'm going to add you to this Dropbox folder. I get added to this Dropbox folder of like all the songs are numbered and it's like, here's raw stems and here's charts and here's original recordings. Here's rehearsal tracks if we had them or whatever. And, um, and so preparation, I think on your part, to me, it felt like was something you intentionally spent a lot of time on, but I will say it it helped me a whole lot. And I I say all that to say one, um, again, I, in the course, if, if people don't know this, there's a course where I walk through the whole thing. I, I share the process of formatting and I walk through the Dropbox order so you can actually see that structure if you're interested. Mm-hmm. I'll put a link in the show notes. But how important to you was that preparation? And what was your process leading up to me getting that call of like getting stuff together and getting stuff ready? Well, the the first part of this is just doing what I can uh, with the information that I have. So I don't... W- through this process started all these producer meetings uh, with Tasha and without Tasha with management to decide what's the, what are the songs we're doing? Who are the guests on what songs uh, where there were all these video transitions um, between things. And so all I knew early on were the songs that I was pretty certain from Tasha's vantage point that would be in the show. And so I don't have that much time. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do what I can do. And I start putting together a folder uh, with the songs that I know are in the show. Um, And again, we're talking about the versatility of things. The whole reason that I know to do some of the things that I do is because I've been the player getting a terrible Dropbox folder full of things that don't make sense. And, um, And I also know that understanding, okay, all the songs are in this folder, and I'm going, and now I'm going to have to go draw, uh, go to a PDF that has the song list, and go. Okay, what's the next song? Now I go search through the folder and go find the next song that I'm going to rehearse. And I was like, if I could help people move fast and also get used to the way songs feel to transition from one to the next, if I put, if I number these songs, and I number the recordings and I number the charts, and so everything's the same way. And I could only do that once I got a uh, a show order. Yeah. 
uh, and things like that. But I'm going to go ahead and start doing it. And how can I save people time? If people only have so much time to prepare and we don't ultimately really have that much money, we didn't pay nothing. It was a, it was a decent rate for people, but it wasn't astronomical to where people are going to shut down their lives for three weeks and, and, you know, dive in and learn it. I have to save them time. I get a better product from them. If I show them that I've put the time in, like, what can I do to show them that I've honored them with my time to prepare these things and their time has been honored and they're going to want to give that back to me with honor the same way. You know, I think that's a a big deal. So yeah, that's what I did. I just, what's anything that, well, I can say this and I would have guessed a lot of MDs and people in these kinds of shoes think this way. And if they don't, they should, um, what could go wrong (laughs) and do I have a contingency plan for what could go wrong? You know, does it make sense if we're going to, we have several of Tasha's songs are pitched down a half step. Is it, is it causing a roadblock for people to have to rehearse the song in a different key than they're going to be in when I could just pitch down a recording and they could have something to play along to, um, you know, those kinds of things. And I want, I want to make a stress a point real here real quick. Like, um, particularly let me, let me throw this out to uh, not everyone in the crowd and audience is doing this at a church as a worship leader. Um, but this is something huge. You're working with like professional musicians in Nashville. We're, we're not talking about people that have a day job and they sometimes play guitar. Like you're going to that extreme of an effort to serve those people really well and to make their job easier. And I know for me, back when I was a worship leader, sometimes I would get uh, an inflated sense of self where I'm like, it's a half step down. I mean, they can just play the song and like, what's the big deal? As opposed to doing that extra effort to like serve those people in love to say, I want to show them that I care enough for them to really do the work and put in the extra effort. And again, you did that with like top of the top professional musicians in Nashville, not just anybody. Yeah. And call it self-preservation. You know, you cannot care mm-hmm. about them. You should, you know, they can tell people have great BS meters, whether they know it or not. Yeah, um, that's good. Um, but I know through doing this enough that me not me not serving them well and giving what they need to premiere ultimately comes back to frustration for me in the middle of rehearsal yeah. or someone's not prepared and you make somebody look bad and now all of a sudden um, they're starting to kind of stress out and maybe they start to their attitude changes and now you got a mm. personality issue. I mean, it's, it's it can manifest in all kinds of ways that are subtle and. You know, maybe none of those things happen when you leave the track in the original key, but maybe it does. Maybe somebody gets yeah. embarrassed because they didn't realize that it was down a half step and now they're struggling over a lead line and they feel embarrassed. And some people act out when they feel embarrassed and all of a sudden you're having to go side stage and deal. You know, it's just like I said, call it self-preservation if you want. All of this stuff is going to make your life easier in the end. Yeah, that's really good. So let's talk. Let's talk some technicalities here, some process stuff. And you jump in, correct me if I'm wrong from anything mm-hmm. on your end. But so I, I, I come in about 20 days out from the event. I get this very well organized Dropbox folder. We've got each song individually separated out. Um, and within most of those, and again, you, I said, I think you said this really well. You're like, I gave you the info I had. And I think up until like a week out, there were a couple songs we didn't know. Were those really going to be the song or is this artist doing that or whatever? So again, we're working with info we had, but um, you had uploaded stems uh, into that folder, what I would call raw stems. 
and uh, had a chart of some sort for most things, had an original song for most things. Um, what I started doing, well, let me ask you this before I get into what I did process. Um, were those stems that you went out and got from an artist? Did you render those from a project? How did you get that content? Because there were, uh, was it four different artists? Uh, 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 five. Like five, okay. Yep. So five different artists. How did you get all those stems? Did you make those projects? Where did that stuff come from? Um, everything we used were uh, from the original masters. Okay. And, you know, 75% of the show I probably produced. Um, you know, one of them was Tasha and Brandon Heath's God Made Away, which I didn't write or produce, but was in the middle of, you know, with the producer giving feedback and everything. Like, and I knew how to get those files, you know. Okay. And I'm never going – I'm real – I will do this if I absolutely have to. Um, I'm not going to create stems from a producer's file. I really want the mixer's mm. file. And so um, one of the things I started doing is going to song credits. There is, um, so one kind of interesting example was that uh, Michael Tate had a version of the Christmas song that he recorded at Air Studios in London in mm. 2002, I oh think. My gosh. You know, wow. And so no one knew where these files were. And, um, you know, we've got 16 strings on stage, but there's percussionists there. There's woodwinds and oboes and our sax players in the big band. I hired them specifically because they can play clarinet and bass clarinet and flute. I knew I had a woodwind section, but I don't have French horns. I don't have a lot of the things that would make the track feel like it ought to feel. Yeah. Um, so I finally got to the arranger. I got the arrangement of the song. I found out this, uh, uh, Steve Beicher engineered it. Um, ultimately after a kind of like a week and a half, the label didn't have it cause they weren't the label at that time. Like wow. I'm actually calling people at air studios and saying, do you guys archive these things? Where can I get them? Because the mix was done on the floor that day. They recorded every, everything was live, including the vocal and it was all mixed. They did a few rides after the, after the orchestra left, they printed a two track and that was it. So there was no oh mix. Gosh. There's no mixer stems to pull from. <laughs> so finally, after about a week and a half, I get a home of Steve Beicher and he says, I think I have those files, but they're on a computer I haven't used in 12 years. Oh my uh, gosh. So he said, give me a couple days and let me go see if it's true. So I gave him a couple days and called him. He said, Hey, I have them. And he, so, so he sent me a pro tool session uh, that was, I mean, just these beautiful tracks from one of the greatest studios in, yeah. in the world. And in that instance, I actually did pull them up and recreate. And it was actually fun because I was getting kind of in, I didn't treat it like I was creating stems just for fun. I treated it like I was mixing these, you know, 96 K files from this amazing studio. And that's, awesome. you know, I'm not gonna, I actually liked my mix better, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the end but uh and so i but i did it to create those stems and then i was able to turn it around and say go to the record label and say hey found them here's these i created stems for them and kind of turn all that into them um but that was the most aggressive and uh that was the most aggressive uh song with tempo changes and stuff too because it wasn't cut to click wasn't cut to yeah. anything that that song get, uh when you look at the course outline of that and the videos i uploaded because i i did a screen capture of every single song in the process oh, of awesome. that I think there's probably three different videos and at the end of one video after about an hour and a half, I'm like, I'm going to take a break and we'll come back tomorrow and finish this. That was a beast. But, um, 
So that's amazing. So you went and gathered stems from everybody from original records, had to track stuff down. That story's amazing. Yeah, so I, so I found the mixers and some of them, I was like, I, I know all these guys like friends. I say, hey, I, I know okay. you mixed. I know you mixed God Made Awake. You go ahead and send me those. And, and they, you know, they when they know what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Though, mm. you know, Hey, I've talked to the A&R guy. He, he's, he said, he can get to me next week. Can you go ahead and send these to me? You know, and it's a lot of relationships and things like that. That's great. Yeah. And that's a whole nother podcast episode, the power and uh, uh, importance of relationships, but well, I digress. Um, so we get these beautiful stems uploaded uh, in Dropbox. I grab those raw stems. I format them um, in Ableton live the way that I teach, you know, using the three part framework for using tracks. We get all that stuff uploaded. Um, I very quickly throughout the process realize this is, and I think we even talked about this from the beginning, and I mentioned this, but I, I, I said this is chart heavy, and one of the most important things is going to, to be um, our communication working well so that you can say start on measure 37. And if you've ever done this before, those of you listening, and you've seen an Ableton Live set of multiple songs, you know that measure 37 for song four is not measure 37 in Ableton. It's like measure 467. So, um, uh, you know, I created a, a measures track and then ended up creating a measures template, which I'll put the link in the show notes to that, uh, that you can download. But that was a huge piece of like um, getting the communication clear. And you kind of teased this earlier, but one of the really important steps for me, and I think I started to do this, and then you and I had a conversation where you're like, I need you to make sure like this stuff matches because this is going to be super important. Um, but I started pulling up, and again, you can see this in the course where I did this song, my song. I pulled up the Ableton session. I pulled up the PDF chart, and I went, okay, does this match? Does this match? There was one song where it's like, hey, I think there's a measure 2-4 here. Like, I know there is, but it's not on the chart, but I just want to make sure. That was uh, one of the know. big ones you caught that had we not fixed that, we would have had a big problem on our hands. Yeah, and and I think... For me, again, I don't have the experience you have as an arranger, but I do have the experience of, of a music director leading a rehearsal and knowing if we're not all together, that's a disaster. So, like, I think I maybe even mentioned that, that I'm like, this is maybe a small thing because you play through it, but if everyone's staring at a chart, it's a huge thing, you know? Yeah. So, uh, we had that, you know, there are a couple whatever things, but um, uh, at that point, we have an Ableton session and a chart that matches that I upload that back to Dropbox. I think we had one, maybe two conversations where I said, Hey, here's a question. Here's a question. And you answered or said, I don't have those stems yet, or we don't know the song yet, or I don't know the artist or yeah, that's a great catch. Um, how beneficial was that process? I mean, that was a 10, 15 minute conversation. It wasn't a, a long conversation, but how beneficial to you was that in that process as you're like leading up to the event? It's not just beneficial. The whole thing falls apart without mm. that. Like, yeah. or like truly. And, and this comes from my, um, recording of horns. I have rules when I'm writing and some guys don't do this and they have ways to work around it. But, it, um, when I'm recording, uh, horns for somebody, um, pro tools always matches my chart. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always. And there's been a few times where I, um, didn't get it. And all you do is go into pro tools and make bar three, bar one, you know, it's a real quick yeah. way, way to make, make them match up. But my other rule is no repeats, mm-hmm. never, That's never huge. any, any, any repeats. And there are ways to do repeats. And then you can do two measure numbers, like one on top of each other. So the top is the first time through it. And the set, so if it's 25, but then the bottom it's 35, 
Mm. And that means that the bottom 35 matches. There's a way to notate it on the chart. Honestly, it's just a headache to me. I never yeah. use any repeats for that reason. Uh, but you're, I know you're the same thing for Ableton. If my chart had repeats, you have a way to notate that it's the second time through. You just, there's okay. two, two 25s, you yeah. know, you know, and however you notate them. But li- literally, we're, hey, we need to pick it up at bar 35. If I had to have my play, playback guy searching around and doing math to try to figure out, I mean, like, you can speak to this. We had as many minutes to re- rehearse as there was music to play. Like there was yeah. no time to not have a, a process for that. Like I think the, right. the whole thing's hosed. Everyone's frustrated. This mm. is not an enjoyable situation. Had we not done that. Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's huge. That's like that, that piece of doing the work on the front end to then make it to where in the moment, like those things are going to click and you're going to keep going. And, and I jokingly said in an email uh, kind of promoting the course and recapping the event that, um, it, it, not just this event, every one of these events I've ever been a part of is always like, wait, 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 hurry up. We're behind, hurry up. We're behind, make five changes, make them five minutes ago. And we're also 10 minutes behind. So hurry up, you know? And it's like, it, it's just, you've got to be able to work really quickly. You've got to keep your cool. Um, you got to manage a lot of changes. It's a lot of stuff. And again, my uh, one thing is like, what could go wrong? you know, and do I have a contingency plan for it? Not, uh, that probably won't go wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to move on. Like you just can't, Yeah. there's just, you just have to know what could go wrong. Have I double checked these charts? Are they accurate? Um, and then, yeah, there might be some time where, Hey, I'm going to tell the brass to lay out on these. Uh, I have to, rem- have to remember, have it on a list that I'm going to tell them to, Hey guys, I want you to sit up bar 12 through 18. Not a not a giant deal. That takes me two seconds. Uh, it, it can be an instance where I have other things that are more important than doing that. Mm. But if I end up having time or I have an assistant that I can give a list of things to do, man, it is going to save me time if I do those kinds of things. That's really good. So we're, we've done this work. Um, and you tell me if I'm skipping over anything glaringly big that you're like people should know about. But we get everything in sync. We... Um, uh, you know, we're working back and forth. Uh, one thing you, you kind of threw out towards the end was uh, rehearsal tracks with vocals, with lead vocal, without lead vocal. Um, so we were rendering those towards the end. Um, there were songs where, and this was beneficial to me to get those to you because there were songs where you're like, hey, that click is off. Something's weird about that click. Or or for the song in 6-8, I want the click like this or I want that. And that, to me, saved time. We still made some of those changes in rehearsal, but that saved a lot of time, uh, I think, in our communication to where it's like uh, you, you kind of got a good idea of what I was giving you beforehand uh, before we got into the actual day of rehearsal. Yeah. I think the, those rehearsal tracks were first and foremost for the artists. The artist who's got their ears in, they need to know what to expect. Same thing. I'm trying to save time day of and keep them in the, uh, their ability in their zone to be able to communicate. Well, you know, these are not notes they're singing, they're stories they're telling and they're, and they're things they're trying to get across. And if that, Whoa, that, that count off really threw me off because these counts do happen in the middle of them singing words. Yeah. Like, you know, have they been given a recording that shows them what to do? Have they been given an opportunity to call and tell me, hey, that cue doesn't feel right? No one did, yeah. but they need that opportunity. Hey, that feels really strange. That's not what I'm used to. Like Danny Goki sings, Mary, did you know, you know, 
15 times a year or, or more. Yeah. And he has his own tracks and his own counts and cues off things that he's used to. And I do remember in the rehearsal, he went, Oh wow, that's different than mine. Yeah. You know, great. Okay. I'm good. You know, yeah. and have, I don't want to catch them off guard. I don't want I want to make yeah. sure they, and I am, um, I will say this to those of you that are music directors and worship leaders, um, use as few cues as you need. Hmm. Like, I think it, it's just generally distracting. Whoever that lady is that's yelling at me during every song when I'm trying to play a ballad uh, and you're trying to lead worship, I don't know who she is, but I want to meet her and I'm going to her house and I want to talk about her tone because she <laughs> yeah. just, you know, like, she's just, don't you take know, that tone with me, lady. Don't take that tone with me. You know, she's, yeah. she's Karen for sure. Yes. Um, but, um, like, to me, like, the chorus always comes here. This is not a confusing thing. I do not need yelled that there's a chorus coming when the chorus always comes here. I want, if there's a pre-chorus in one verse and not in another, man, cue me that there's a pre-chorus or cue me that the chorus comes because I don't always know that. Uh, If there's a two, four bar, if there's something like say, you know, it goes, I don't know how, and I'll butcher this, you know, um, nothing be as simple as possible and no simpler. You know, yeah. that's what cues should be to me. And I just, I, when I, it's, I just take out half of them. And if you can yeah. do it, it, it'll yeah. also teach your team how to not rely on them when they don't need to. And it just also gives just a sense, Hey, I trust you with this. Mm-hmm. I know you've done what you need to do. Cause there are people, I know them personally and I've ha- talked to them and they don't know, Oh, it's fine. I don't need to prepare this. That, that lady will tell me what to do next. No, like put the, put the time in, you know, yeah. and so anyway, that's my food for thought is as few accuses you really need. Yeah. I mean, that's a good one. That's a, honestly a, a good takeaway. Um, so we get to the day of the event. We recorded on a Monday. And um, that was an interesting thing for me because, and this is a different story for another day. But I got a call. You know, I got 20 days on this one. I got oh, a yeah. call two days before an event on Sunday that ended up doing playback for. Thankfully, there were... Um, uh, far less tempo time signature changes for that event than there was for this one. But um, I was in the the same, I mean, we both were, you you and Tasha did a song the, that night, um, but we were in the same venue. And so my stuff was kind of already set up, ready to go, which was nice. Um, other than everything getting repatched and my dream kind of came true because the band was on stage ready. And I was like, and no one could hear it, but it wasn't my fault. But I still was like, oh, that's a terrible feeling. But another story for another day. So um, we show up Monday to the, uh, to the venue, um, and walk everybody through, I mean, as, I guess as, as briefly as you can, or as, as in depth as you want to, of kind of what the day of prep, uh, and flow of things, uh, up until the actual event felt like to you and things that point stick out in your brain. And I'll, I'll bring up a few things as well too. Yeah. So all of scheduling this, like I said, it's the same production company. It's Caleb on demand. That's doing the, this Caleb 40th anniversary thing on Sunday night. And on Monday night, uh, we're doing Tasha's event and Michael Tate's event. And so a lot of things are the same. A lot of things are, are different. And at this point, you really are putting yourself in everyone's shoes going, okay, I need more rehearsal, but can the artist stand that much rehearsal without getting worn out and hosing them for, for that night. Yeah. Um, how much time does audio actually need? Are am I stressing anybody out with these requests? 
And so they're wanting us to get in as soon as possible. I didn't realize that we didn't end up doing an actual dress rehearsal period on, on the night we ran it. We had a, a rehearsal length of like two and a half hours that, and I had schedule on the left side, which I had to kind of keep. And I really pride myself on caring about that. You know, I, we say with, you know, with things like the hit Steve tour with Toby, like everyone's got to hit their mark on time or, or else it's a very long night, you know, and nothing will get you talked trash about. And I I say trash very loosely than going over your time. Yeah. You know, um, it's number one, it's just disrespectful. If a promoter asked you to come in and you just don't seem to care about what they've asked for you, they have reasons they're caring about more than just, just your thing. And, um, and so I was like, man, I'm going to stay on time for this rehearsal. And so it's making very broad stroke comments to everybody. Hey, cellos, we need to tighten that up. You guys can't hear the click, but you're dragging in this section. Hmm. Um, guys, and you know, uh, it's just making is, um, saying as much with as little as you can with as little time to go. And we're getting into some of these, uh, things with our conductor and Hey, we, um, telling you will, Hey, we need to take the eighth note subdivision out there. Let's program that to say this and just little ways that we're trying to tweak up tracks a little bit as we go. Uh, that's, you know, that you have in your format to be able to adjust those things quickly. Cause it's not like you don't, aren't going to have things to check. That's why you try to get all these other things ahead of time. Cause there's always still stuff, stuff to do. You know, we finish, during uh and and do a quick dinner and and then we're at showtime having never done a full dress rehearsal and that's because i think they i mean they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars between Mm. these two shows and so you know and yet they're still making concessions they would have loved eight cameras and we shot it with six they would have loved to have a full another other day in this dress in this facility to do a full dress rehearsal and you just can't so you yeah just know that everyone's a pro and you're going to do the best you can and, and you're going to fly and, and it's, and it's kind of fun that way too. You know, there's a lot of adrenaline associated with it and yeah. Okay. Take what you can get, keep a good attitude, keep treating people well, keep thanking them for their part in it. And you know, there you go. That's really good. And I think I, I want to stress, and I mentioned this in the course and you can, everybody can see all that, but um, you know, rehearsal was so much of, like you said, of, we're on a song. Hey, stop that. Hey, Will, can we get a count into this section? Can we take, take this from just quarter, uh, quarters and eights to, you know, just quarter click? Uh, can we stop the click early uh, so that Brandon can do this? We can conduct this way. We can do that. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of changes every song. And like you said, that's even with all the preparation we did up front, you know, and we did that and we formatted things and I structured things a certain way so that we had that flexibility. This was an interesting experience for me because this was actually, as I'm thinking about it, other than the night before, this is the first time I've done playback in a way where I am not the person determining when to start tracks. And so that was an interesting role. Talk a little bit about once we got into the event, one from your perspective, what you were doing, um, and then our communication back and forth and how that worked. 15 minutes before the show, the producer said, Hey, you know, this show better than anyone. Can you decide when we, when we trigger songs? And that was an instance where I should have uh, found a kind way to say no, Hmm. uh, because I didn't have the information. So literally 15 minutes before the show. And this is a good example of everyone's doing their, their, their best. No one is treating anyone poorly. 
but a decision all of a sudden put me in a state of anxiety that I, that I didn't need 15 minutes before the show. And part of like, like, and I want to go, man, I could do anything. You tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. Put me in coach. Like, I I mean, that's just me in general. You tell me I've got two weeks to do this Christmas show and I still would have tried to figure out a way to do the same thing. Um, so all of a sudden, 15 minutes before the show, I'm in the production's office saying, hey, I need a copy of the script. Dada, cause I, and, <laughs> and, and I'm realizing during the show, well, I mean, I knew this, but I'm realizing the value. Like, this is a TV taping that we're doing. And so there are going to be starts and stops. But I don't even have the producers in my ear like they do in the truck talking to one another to yeah. know what's up. So I'm literally just trying to watch a teleprompter where there's teleprompter issues and read a script. And I'm also supposed to be playing trumpet at the same time. And I just, I I just should have said, Hey man, I I really need to, to have someone else do this. And because I did agree, I do know this stuff better. The musical portion of this better than anyone in the room did. Yeah. Yeah. But when I got into the show and realized that the, um, the transitions weren't as critical as I thought they were, that if there was 10 extra sections before, between the dialogue and when the song started in a TV side of things, that's not a big deal. They just cut it out. And so I was thinking, man, I've got to make sure we get this song like perfectly cut into the next one. And I probably should be the one to say that when I got 15 minutes in the show and realized that that wasn't even really necessary, I was especially going shoot. I should have, I should have made someone sure someone else did this job because it was stressful and it kind of, uh, it, it was not what was probably needed. And someone else could have done that just fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you were wearing a lot of hats. You were playing trumpet. You were music directing. Uh, there's stories I won't tell on camera of funny of the things that happened uh, with you and the talkback mic with artists. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and tell you my my talkback was in the artist's ears, and they're up there trying to talk, and I'm trying to say something to Will or someone, and all of a sudden one of the artists turns back and says, "Yeah, what?" Like <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Oh no!" Like I like. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that one. And then I'll just say, I won't say who it was, but there was a song where you sang the line of what was happening and someone in the band <laughs> was obviously a little on edge and started the song as if that was the start of the song and it made the artist go, what? So the, uh, the, the right. artist, the artist was supposed to sing a line and the band responded to it. That's how the yeah. song started. It didn't start with any intro. Yeah. So I went... I, just to kind of, hey, here's the line you're about to hear the artist say, set it into the mic. And the the uh, musician who was supposed to cue it went, da-da. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> really funny. Oh, I forgot man. about that. that. That was, uh, I, I love telling my kids that story. That was really, really fun. So uh, we, I know we've got super, super long, and, and I know your kids are probably busting your door down to, to get dinner, as, as mine are. But um, I, I got to say, first, Keith, thank you for having me out for the event. It was, uh, it was super, super fun. It was great working. Uh, I, you know, I was texting and, and, and talking to my wife after the event, and I, it made me uh, super grateful for your friendship because that would be an event that would be a lot less fun to do if like my, one of my very best friends wasn't there with me and wasn't there yeah. leading it, you know? And, and I even told you beforehand, I said, listen, dude, we're really good friends. And if in the moment you need to yell something at me, you know, I'm not going to break down and, and make us have a 15 minute counseling session to work through it. Like, you know, my, I can take it. And so I think um, just the relationship we had of working together for that was really fun to me. And I think you modeled 
that really well for everyone else mm. there, like how to treat and care well for people. So um, thank you for having me out for the event. It was super, super fun. And I'm going to put links in the um, the show notes to where you can go watch it, at least right now. Uh, my family and I sat down and watched it, which was really, really fun. And It came uh, out saw- really good. I'm really, really proud of did. it. Yeah, it did. And um, uh, the moments where mistakes were made were clearly cut out, but it was fun to fill that in with director's commentary from my family. Um, but yeah, this is a super, super fun event. So uh, Keith, congrats to you on uh, putting all this together. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know that anyone will know the, the amount of effort you, I mean, it comes across, you can see it, but like so much stuff that you did for that event um, and, and did it really, really well, you know, either by delegating or doing it yourself was just, was really, really killer. Well, it was a really cool, I, I really cherish full circle moments and doing mm-hmm. this with you was, was one of those to kind of go and like, man, some of us are really out here still doing it, you know, yeah. and the chance to do it together was a, a, a bigger deal than maybe some people would realize, but it, it was yeah. to me anyway. I, I think so too, and it makes me realize how old I'm getting, uh, which right. is which is a little sad. So the I don't, I don't see you know how well you can see the white and the beard. I can see yours, but you yeah. know I, I I got a couple years behind you, so you're leading the way for me. But Keith, man, this is awesome. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being a great friend, and uh, I love every year our, our dinners together when you guys come through town. And so I hope we can keep that tradition up. But uh, for anyone that wants to stay in touch, or maybe anyone's listening and going, hey, I have a major award show or Christmas special that I'd like you to produce uh, uh, three weeks ahead of time. Uh, where can people find out more about what you're up to and, and get in touch? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really blessed to be able to kind of take the stuff I'm really passionate about doing. And one of the things that I think is great when I say yes to something, it really means that I, I'm passionate about doing it. Um, because there's my, my wife's career kind of takes up so much time. So I've been able to kind of say, no, I really, I really can only do that if I, if I love it. So producing records and stuff, I still love to do, especially church records and things, but, um, and also just love the mentoring part and the getting to know people. So if anybody is out for a Toby Mac show and you want to try to get together for lunch or something or, or breakfast or, or coffee, um, I can tend to be up for something like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, websites, Keith Everett com and Instagram producer Keith one. And yeah, I mean, just Sweet. a Google search. I'm sure we'll, we'll find someone with my name and ask them <laughs> if it's me. Get, get, get to some Smith and, uh, and they'll get to you eventually. So, That's right. um, Keith, man, thanks again, dude. This was great. Super, super fun. And, um, thanks for being here. Yeah, man. Take it easy. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Keith. Again, like I said, Keith is such a good friend. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I had texted him and said, hey, can we talk for like 15 to 20 minutes? That was the intent of this to be a short conversation. It just kept going and kept going. And you could tell there are different points in there where I wanted to dive a little deeper, ask more questions, and I had to hold back because we were getting close to an hour as is. But as Keith mentioned, if you want to reach out to him while he's on tour uh, or just see what he's up to, I've included links in the show notes of this episode uh, in in the description of this video if you're watching on YouTube. If you've enjoyed this, do me a favor. uh, Give us a thumbs up over on YouTube. Give us a rating review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. We'll be back next week. Uh, with a brand new episode of Behind the Space Where. And again, like I said, I want to introduce more interviews to uh, the podcast. There's still a lot I want to say individually, 
but I really, really enjoy sitting down with folks and having conversations because there's always something we can learn from someone else, no matter their experience, no matter our skill set. Uh, there's always more we can learn, and all. And I just enjoy that process, talking to people, pulling out things that I can apply to my own life and my own career. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you want to see more content like this, and you're over on YouTube, then hit subscribe, enable the bell icon. And if you're interested in diving deeper uh, into learning how to use Ableton Live on stage, then head to fromstudiotostage.com slash subscribe and check out everything I have there as a part of the From Studio to Stage community. Thanks so much for watching. Have a fantastic rest of your week and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye.